0: my land and my people the Memoirs of his holiness the dalai lama of tibet chapter five invasion in 1948 while i was still a student the government heard there were chinese communist spies in the country they had come to find out how strong our army was and whether we were receiving military aid from any foreign power They cannot have found it very hard to discover the facts they wanted. Far from receiving military aid, we had only six Europeans in Tibet, so far as I am aware. Three of them, one missionary and two radio operators were British. The other three were two Austrians and one white Russian, all of whom had been refugees from British internment camps in India during the war. None of them had anything to do with military matters. As for the army, its strength was 8,500 officers and men. There were more than enough rifles for them but only about 50 pieces of artillery of various kinds, 250 mortars and about 200 machine guns. The purpose of the army, as I have said, was to stop unauthorized travelers and act as a police force. It was quite inadequate to fight a war. Soon after this first sign of impending trouble, more serious news was heard from the eastern parts of Tibet. The governor of eastern Tibet, whose name was Lalu, was stationed in the town of Chamdo, close to the frontier, and he had one of the British radio operators with him, the other being in Lhasa. Soon coded signals began to come in from the governor reporting that the Chinese were moving up strong forces and massing them along our eastern border. It was obvious that they intended either to attack or intimidate us. As soon as this alarming information reached the cabinet they convened a meeting of the National Assembly. Evidently Tibet was facing a far more serious threat from the east than it had ever faced in all the centuries before. Communism had conquered China and given the country a military strength it had not had for many generations. So the threat to us was not only more powerful, it was also different in its very nature. In past centuries, there had always been some religious sympathy between our countries but now we were threatened not only with military domination but also with the domination of an alien materialistic creed which so far any of us understood it in Tibet seemed totally abhorrent. The assembly agreed unanimously that Tibet had neither the material resources nor the arms or men to defend its integrity against a serious attack and so they decided to make an urgent appeal to other countries in the hope of persuading the Chinese to halt before it was too late. Four delegations were appointed to visit Britain, the United States of America, India and Nepal to ask for help. Before the delegations left Lhasa, telegrams were sent to these four governments to tell them of the apparent threat to our independence and of our government's wish to send the delegations. The replies to these telegrams were terribly disheartening. The British government expressed their deepest sympathy for the people of Tibet and regretted that owing to Tibet's geographical position, since India had been granted independence, they could not offer help. The government of the United States also replied in the same sense and declined to receive our delegation. The Indian government also made it clear that they would not give us military help and advised us not to offer any armed resistance but to open negotiations for a peaceful settlement on the basis of the Shimra agreement of 1914. So we learned that in military matters we were alone. It happened that Lhalu's term as governor of eastern Tibet was over and at this crucial moment, he had to be replaced by another official, Ngabew Jigme. Ngabe left Lhasa for the eastern province, and as the situation was so delicate, the cabinet told Lhalu to stay at his post and help his successor, sharing the responsibility with him. But Ngabe soon said he was ready to take the full responsibility, and so Lhalu was recalled. Very soon afterwards, without any formal warning, the armies of the Communist China invaded Tibet. For a short time, and in a few places, the Tibetan army fought them back with some success, aided by volunteers from the local race of Kampas. But our army was hopelessly outnumbered and outmatched. The change of governor had confused the administration and Ngabe began to move his headquarters back from Chamdo towards the west. When the Tibetan troops, retreating from the frontier, arrived at Chamdo they found he had already abandoned the place and so they had to burn the armory and ammunition store and join him in further retreat. But retreat was of no avail. Ngabe found his line of communication cut and himself outflanked by more mobile Chinese forces and he and many Tibetan troops were forced to surrender. The Chamdo radio transmitter and its British operator were also captured and so for a time no news of what was happening reached the government and then two officials arrived in Lhasa sent by Ngabe with the Chinese commander's permission to tell the cabinet that he was a prisoner to ask for authority to negotiate terms of peace and also to give the cabinet an assurance from the Chinese commander that China would not extend her rule over more Tibetan territory. While these disasters were taking place in the distant eastern marches of Tibet, the government in Lhasa was consulting the oracles and the high lamas and guided by their advice, the cabinet came to see me with a solemn request that I should take over the responsibility of government. This filled me with anxiety. I was only 16. I was far from having finished my religious education. I knew nothing about the world and had no experience of politics and yet I was old enough to know how ignorant I was and how much I had still to learn. I protested at first that I was too young, for eighteen was the accepted age for a Dalai Lama to take over active control from his regent. Yet I understood very well why the oracles and Lamas had caused the request to be made. The long years of regency after the death of each Dalai Lama were an inevitable weakness in our system of government. During my own minority, there had been dissensions between separate factions in our government and the administration of the country had deteriorated. We had reached a state in which most people were anxious to avoid responsibility rather than accept it. Yet now, under the threat of invasion, we were more in need of unity than ever before and I, as Dalai Lama, was the only person whom everybody in the country would unanimously follow.